What people are doing is they're creating a problem with their thinking. Then they're trying to solve it with the same thinking. That's what Albert Einstein said was the definition of insanity is trying to change things by doing the same thing over and over again. Okay, so what you have to do is you have to get new thought. You have to see things from a different level. He also said, the problems of the world will never be solved at the level that they're created. So everyone lives at a different level of consciousness. Okay, and the level of consciousness that you live at is what's creating literally what your your reality you're creating it from that level so when you try to figure it out from that level you just get off, you get more into that level that's what traditional psychology does is people come in and they they come in in a given state of mind you know given level of consciousness right and then they talk about how life looks to them. They talk about their problems. They talk about their interactions. They talk about their feelings. They talk about their behaviors. And the therapist then tries to change them at that same level of consciousness. What we're saying is that if you change your level of consciousness, then what you create is totally different. So you don't have to fix it. The answer is you go back inside and quiet down and your level rises and then you see answers. You see opportunities. You see what to do in your life instead of what's wrong with your life. Hello and welcome to Brand New Thought. I'm your host Rasmik Sargassian and in this episode we travel to Hawaii to meet the wonderful Christine Heath. Christine is the director of the Hawaii Counseling and Education Center and an executive board member of the Three Principles Global Community. Christine has been working as a marriage and family therapist and consultant to human service businesses for 35 years. We talked about the subtleties of how the mind works and how appreciating them can almost instantly guide us back to our innate health and wellness. Christine has been part of the Three Principles movement from the early days, so we also talked about the legacy of Sidney Banks, the Scottish mystic who discovered the principles of mind, consciousness, and thought. I asked her about the Hawaiian perceptions of wellness, and she shared how Hawaiians referred to the aloha spirit to describe the spiritual energy of life and the importance of staying grounded in beautiful feelings. All these wonderful people that I interview, as well as the wonderful people I coach, remind me that what we truly want is a beautiful feeling. Let's be honest, whatever it is we think we want to have, or perhaps we want to get rid of, we want it because of how we think we'll feel once that happens. And the good news is that we don't have to wait for it. We can align with beautiful feelings and then the wisdom that they bring will guide us further. That's kind of what I got from my conversation from Christine and I hope it will do the same for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you find this podcast helpful, you can find a lot more on brandnewthought.com. Hi, Christine. It's such an honor to have you on Brand New Thought. Oh, thank you for asking me. It's quite an honor to be asked. I love asking my guests beyond formal introductions. What would you like people to know about you before you begin, as of now, as of today? 
Oh, gosh. What would I like them to know about me? I, I don't know that there's anything about me. It's the funny thing. It's kind of like you, I talk about a lot of like, about what I've learned, um, but I'm just a regular person like anybody else. I guess that's what I want people to remember is that whatever it is that you are, that's not who you are. So one of the one of the most important things I ever learned was that I was just an ordinary person like everybody else. Yeah, so you know, sometimes we we get in thinking we're special because of one thing or another. Either we're like we know something, or we're better than other people at something, or we're worse than other people. You know, we're we're bad, but really we're all the same. We're just kind of on this journey of life, trying to get through it as best we can. I couldn't agree more. So, would you say that embracing our ordinary nature is what allows what's extraordinary about us to unfold more effortlessly? Yeah, I, I think the more comfortable you are and the more you're um, at peace with just being a regular person, then you it's like you take off the limits in your life because you don't have to do well at anything. You don't have to worry about doing poorly at anything. You can just try different things. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, it's no big deal. You move on to something else. So to me, it takes a lot of that insecurity out of life because I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to care one way or the other really how things work out because they always work out. It's just mm -hmm. not always the way I think they should work out, right? That's a beautiful thought. So here's a question that may seem kind of obvious, but I know that to a lot of people it isn't. So I want to ask it anyways. Why would an understanding about the mind be helpful in terms of unlocking well-being or increasing productivity or some of the other things people seek to achieve in conversations about mental health or personal development? We've, we've known very little about how the mind works. That we've just gotten to a place where we're starting to scratch the surface in the world. I mean, no one has known this. And um, by understanding how the mind works, you can start to use it in ways that it's designed. Like for me, I didn't know how thought worked. And so I did way too much thinking. I was trying to find happiness by thinking and happiness does not come from thinking. Happiness comes from a deeper state of consciousness that you know resides within everyone. So, it, it, it helps you with a couple of a lot of things. Number one is you don't have as much stress in your life, right? So you can do whatever you do and you do it with more peace and um, a lot less fear and anxiety about how it's gonna turn out. Um, you walk through life in a different feeling and that allows you to be more creative and uh, opens you up to new thought because when you're doing a lot of thinking all the time you're just in memory mm. and memory is not a, there's not anything new there it's, it's kind of like you have a thought it goes in memory you have a thought it goes into memory so that's that what i call the dead thought uh, library and when you're present in the moment and you're in a beautiful feeling you get new thoughts and and they're alive there's a sense of aliveness that goes with them that's interesting. And there, I think there's so many modalities, whether consciously or unconsciously facilitating just that, like a lot of forms of 
meditation, for example, that kind of take your attention away from a momentum of specific thoughts. But like on my own example, before I got introduced to the three principles, it didn't occur to me just to pause and kind of evaluate how my experience of life is created. So I guess my question is, if the three principles are true, and, and we've seen that they are true, why aren't they more obvious? Or why doesn't it occur to us earlier to kind of pause and evaluate this? Because probably this is not the most common spiritual path or psychological path. And hell, you have a podcast called Psychology Has It Backwards. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of, see, the, the nature of thought is that it creates an illusion that the outside world is creating our experience. So we have evolved as a species looking at what we create. So we're looking at life, looking at people and reacting and how we react to it. And psychology is just one thing that's based on that. It's kind of um, uh, looks at why people are the way they are, why their experience is the way it is and analyzes what's wrong with people. And that's after the fact, right? People already create that and then they are experiencing that that experience of anxiety or depression or joy or whatever it is. And, and so what we're saying is like, if we take one step back and we look at how this is generated, we have a lot more control over that because we're now making a change in real time as opposed to trying to fix it after the fact, right? So it's like catching the horse after it's out of the barn. You know, it's like, it's too late already. You've already created that thought or that experience. And, and, and the more you think about it, then the longer it stays around and the more people suffer. So I, I think that the illusion that thought creates that the outside world is what's creating how we feel and our experience of life has gotten in the way of our really understanding deeper that there's this innate health that's built into us, that we're born into a state of well-being. And so now there are people that have were living at a higher level of consciousness than I was that had some glimpse of this. I did not. This was news to me, man. I mean, I knew that I thought, but I thought that I was thinking about my world and my world was making me think that way. And understanding the nature of thought is that I'm seeing in my life, my own thoughts. I'm seeing in the world what I'm thinking. It's a whole different shift, right? And, and then the world doesn't scare me so much. Then I don't get caught up in all the negative stuff that I'm looking at in the world because the level of consciousness of humanity is not very high. You know, we have, especially right now, it's just like, we've been, I, I think the world has been um, overdosing on information. And as a result of that, people are miserable and angry and uh, reactive and a little bit nutty. No, I, I, a lot of my listeners are from Armenia and we have so much volatility and armed conflicts going on in our region. And we see that this is a reflection of our collect of the global state of consciousness and it keeps on regurgitating. And that kind of brings me to my next question because and the three principles community gets bigger and bigger and more and more diverse, but I would say, I would say still 
it's predominantly in North America, Europe, Australia, and probably it hasn't reached other regions so well. And I guess my, well, okay, my first question was going to be, and because you're joining from Hawaii, and I'm very, I would really love you to speak a little bit about kind of this pointing pointers in, in the culture of Hawaii, because I think they're, they're kind of more pointers in Hawaii than maybe other cultures. I mean, they're pointers in all spiritual and religious traditions, but I think Hawaii is somewhat specific. So I wanted to ask you that. And also I wanted to tie it to um, communities like, like Armenia, because there is a somewhat different kind of reality happening. I mean, right now there's a group of people without gas, kind of separated from the rest of the world, afraid that a new war might start. And one of one of my intentions with this podcast is to share the three principles with, with, with everyone, especially people that are living in this kind of circumstances, because if something is true, it, it is true always. And in a way, if I'm entirely honest with you, like this volatile environment almost helped me realize this more because like, if it's true here, it's true everywhere. So please share a little bit about your Hawaii experience and how can, how can people in other environments tap into this understanding and help increase their states of consciousness too? Okay, so the, the first question is about our expansion beyond our English speaking privilege uh, that, that we all, <laughs> right? That, that's what I, how I look at it. And, you know, the deal is, is that at first, there's a reason for that, I think, um, well, it's a couple of them, but um, when we first um, started to listen to Sydney Banks talk about the three principles, there were less than 20 of us. You know, when I came in, there was less than 15 people in the world that had heard anything about this, that were actually teaching it or trying to share it in some way. And, um, and we were all English speaking. We were all, um, most of us were Americans and uh, some Canadians. But um, as the word went out and it started going into uh, Europe, I forget how that happened, but somebody talked to somebody in England, I believe, and then Roger Mills went to England um, mm -hmm. back in the day. And, and then, so, it, you know, it's like, it's kind of by word of mouth that this travels, really. People get awakened to it by listening to your podcast, right? And somebody like goes, oh, ding, ding, ding. I know what that is, or I want to learn more about that. And then they get interested and they see something and then they bring it into their culture and their world. So now I believe we have... Um, what we call at the three principles global community, we have um, communities of interest that are sprouting up all over the world. And we're starting to translate um, some of the work of Sydney Banks into other languages. And that's one of the reasons that we didn't do that initially was because Sid didn't want to do that. He was looking at us and seeing the level of understanding that we were at and was pretty sure that if somebody else translated it, that it would not be translated in the same feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we have been uh, doing our best to try to figure out how to make his work uh, accessible to more peoples across the world. And so one of the things we're doing, um, in fact, we're gonna have a YouTube site and we're gonna have Sid's um, videos up there with 
um, translations with subtitles so that his feeling will still come through, but we'll translate as best we can because see like I only speak English and a little Spanish. So I can't really read it to see if it's really translated correctly, right? So then we get like, oh, we have to do it right. Um, and, and so we thought if we did the subtitles, that way people would listen to the video and be, because it's not in his words, it's in the feeling he's talking from. So if that feeling comes through and then you can add the words so people at least feel like they know what they're listening to, that that would be something that we could do. And then his books are also, we're starting to get them translated into different languages. So we are trying to get this out beyond the white world. And also in the, the continent of Africa, you know, because um, there's uh, also many languages in Africa and uh, like our podcast is even ranked in, in Tanzania. I was like, really? That's, you know, it kind of, kind of shocked me, but um, it, so that's the answer to that question. We're doing the best we can. And if uh, people are interested, they can go to Three Principles Global Community and we will be having that uh, YouTube site up soon. It's, I just got that, in fact, I, this, that's hot off the press. Nobody else actually knows about that, but it's going to come out soon. I just saw the, the, the first mock-up of it to look at. Um, and Hawaii, the, the reason I came to Hawaii, actually, I grew up in Minnesota, which is kind of in the Northern part of the United States in the middle of the country where it's cold and cold. And um, I was learning the principles and I thought, you know, uh, two things I thought. One was that I'm learning to be a really nice person. So somebody probably will want to marry me one of these days. So I should put myself <laughs> in a place I want to live for the rest of my life, right? And Beautiful. I could not get over the weather in um, Minnesota. I just couldn't get beyond my negative thoughts about it. So I thought, okay, let's move someplace that's warm and beautiful. And I had come to Hawaii um, to uh, stay here for um, a conference a couple of times. And I noticed that in the culture, they had an understanding of the principles in their yeah. own way, their own culture. But I, it was really, I could feel the feeling and people would talk about the beautiful feelings. And it was like, oh, there's something happening here. There's something going on with the, with the Hawaiian culture. And so I decided to move to Hawaii. And once I got here, I learned more about it and actually ended up meeting and marrying a Hawaiian. And I thought I'd be set here for life, but we had a life had me going back to Minnesota for about 10 years, but most of the last 40 years I've lived here. And so the culture here really identified um, what they call aloha. And aloha is a deep state of consciousness that produces a beautiful feeling. So people will talk about it like, oh, um, she came over to my house and shared her aloha. So some, that means somebody just came over and talked story and shared a beautiful feeling, right? And, or, well, people will say, well, that's not really coming from aloha. So, and, and, and so people know that that is kind of the way of life here 
is to come and live from that feeling of aloha. And it, you know, it, it's, it goes far beyond that, but it's, um, you know, like the values of the culture are that you should um, live in harmony with each other and with the, with the, the ocean and the land and that you uh, live a pono life, which is that you don't do things that are not ethical or you know, mean or nasty to other people, that you um, help each other, that you treat your friends as family, and that it's a sense of connectedness from that beautiful feeling. And they also talk about mana, which is the spiritual energy that comes through us, which we call mind, right? And so that energy, as it comes through a person, people will say that person has a lot of mana, a lot of spiritual energy that's coming through them. And so as I, as I and I'm still learning really about, about that um, culture and how it's similar, but I think it's, I don't know of any other culture that's so identified the positive aspects of living and mental well-being without calling it that, right? Um, and, but that's, it's got a special thing. And there was a, um, a kahuna, uh, a, an auntie that taught hula here and was a, a, a spiritual leader, a kahuna, a kahuna they call him, but it's a kahu. And she, um, she was talking about that Hawaii had to teach the world about aloha. And that, that someday the world would turn to Hawaii to learn about living in Aloha. And, you know, that's what my friend, um, I have a friend named Mo Keale. And if you can get online somewhere on the music video, he's got a, a, a song called Aloha Is. And if you listen to it, it's really living. It's, it's, it just play, talks of living from that feeling. And, he says, uh, it's the, um, the heart and the mind working in harmony. Hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your mana. I can certainly feel that. <laughs> I, I love what you just share, said about, you know, how Sidney Banks had this idea that um, he wanted the understanding to unfold through people that could tap into that feeling. Uh, a, a week ago, we had a chance to speak with Jack Pransky, and he shared. He said that in the Modelo project, so originally there were these, there were these people that were kind of grounded in the understanding of the three principles, and then they were put to community work, and that was like very effective. And then later, they tried reaching out to other community workers and just kind of quickly introduce the three principles understanding to them and see if the same effect could be replicated. And it wasn't the same. So it's very interesting that that, that, that may actually be the reason that perhaps uh, the community hasn't, isn't as diverse now, but perhaps there's a reason behind that and things do take time. And uh, thanks for sharing about some of the efforts of the three principles global community. It's just, I'm so glad to hear about them. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, um, we made a real effort a couple of years ago. I actually was the spearheaded it because I realized that our, our group had become very white. And Roger Mills was the psychologist that Jack was probably referring to. He's the one that uh, actually, he's a blonde haired, blue eyed guy. And he went into a, a housing project in Miami, Florida where everyone was black and 
usually American, you know, um, but had been living in this uh, really low income, high crime, um, very um, uh, drug infested uh, huh. area. And he just went up to the door and knocked on the door, you know, like, you want to go to a parenting class? You want to go to a parenting class? And they just slam the door in his face and he'd laugh. <laughs> you have to know, Roger, he'd laugh. <laughs> and then he'd go to the next door, you know, and he and um, he 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 did something magical there. You know, he met with these women. There were, oh, I think 17 women, maybe, maybe there were more than that, but I remember 17 for some reason. And um, he worked with them for about a year and they changed so much that they literally transformed the whole community. And um, people all of a sudden started using the, the uh, job center, you know, where they were unemployed, but no one did anything. So 80 some percent of the people living there either went back to school or got a job, you know, and, and the kids formed an alliance with the police to get the drug dealers out of the community. And the, um, uh, the people that lived there did a fundraiser for the migrant workers, the Hispanic migrant workers that were working in the or in the orange fields. You know, um, it was just this magical experience that happened because the feeling was that deep there. And there were other community projects. That wasn't the only one. I don't. Uh, there was one in um, um, Oakland, California. And it had been like the murder capital of the United States. And uh, there were no murders there for, I don't know, eight or nine years after they started doing that project. But they didn't have the same kind of funding. And that's probably the biggest thing that we've had is a lack of funding. Um, most of the projects that we've done, individuals have done because they've awakened to this and then they figure out a way to do it. And so a lot of um, uh, universities and people that have you know, funding that can research it have, have not been, we haven't been able to kind of get them behind it yet. Oh, that's so interesting to hear. I wanna, you're actually, I'm, I'm privileged to get to interview you because you had a personal relationship with Sydney Banks. And uh, so I wanna speak about that a lot, but before we get there, because you kind of hinted about this, I think what a lot of us do, like for example, when I got introduced to the idea of the three principles. Maybe I had no concept about it. I hadn't thought about it. I, had, I, I was kind of open, I was receptive and it just immediately landed. I had this beautiful feeling as you mentioned. And then obviously like our perception of the three principles is not a static thing. So we conceptualize it, we intellectualize it and instead of staying present and open to new in moment insights that come with this beautiful feeling that you're describing, we keep on referring to the content of the previous insights and kind of block ourselves from wisdom. So for people that may have got kind of stuck in their intellectual understanding and conceptualization, what would you advise? How would you point them out of it? Well, I think there's three things that people have to realize. One is, is that they're trying to figure out how to be happy. And whenever we get thinking, we all think too much, all of us do, yeah. We get thinking and we lose the feeling. And we make the insight be about whatever we think it was, rather than about just seeing something from a deeper feeling. 
That's why Sid says it's all about the feeling. It's in the feeling. So you have to learn to listen for a deeper feeling as it comes through you. And then that provides you with the insight and then your mind quiets down. But when you're trying to figure out, figure it out so that you can apply it to your life and get a good feeling, it doesn't work. So if you're not getting a good feeling, that's all that's happening. You're just trying to figure out because now you have some new thoughts, right? You have mind, thought, and consciousness. And if I could, I understand how they work. And if I could just do this, then I'd feel better. No, forget what you know, because that's not it. If it's not giving you a beautiful feeling, a sense of peacefulness, it's not awakening to you. It's not alive to you. That's not it. Go back to the drawing board and start listening with nothing on your mind. Because when you listen for that feeling, it will come through you and it will give you whatever you need to see. But it's very simple, super simple, and it has to come to you. You have to see it for yourself. You cannot figure it out by listening to somebody else and then memorizing what they say and then applying it. That's the model the world lives in is that what I call the information application mode. Tell me how it works so I can apply it and then I'll be happy. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to see that you are what you're looking for. You are it already. It's like one of my girlfriends said that she was looking for her phone in her car. She's looking all over and couldn't find it. And then she realized she was using her flashlight on her phone to find it. <laughs> oh God. Oh, isn't that a beautiful metaphor? Yeah. And yet we and yet we keep keep on looking for it. And and here's something else. I've I've heard words such as gaslighting so if when we have a lot of agitated thinking and the world looks like a really messy place to be in i think it can almost from that perspective it, it can almost feel kind of irresponsible to take your hands off of your thoughts because then you feel like a personal responsibility to figure it out so that it goes away i mean obviously you don't have an appreciation that it it will go away automatically once you do that but when how how could people transcend that sense of taking it so personally and feeling like it's their job to think themselves out of their problems kind of? Mm -hmm. Well, what people are doing is they're, they're creating a problem with their thinking. Then they're trying to solve it with the same thinking. That's what Albert Einstein said was the definition of insanity is trying to change things by doing the same thing over and over again. Okay, so what you have to do is you have to get new thought. You have to see things from a different level. He also said the problems of the world will never be solved at the level that they're created. So everyone lives at a different level of consciousness. Okay, and the level of consciousness that you live at is what's creating literally what your, your reality. You're creating it from that level. So when you try to figure it out from that level, you just get, off, you get more into that level. That's what traditional psychology does is people come in and they, they come in in a given state of mind, you know, given level of consciousness, right? 
And then they talk about how life looks to them. They talk about their problems. They talk about their interactions. They talk about their feelings. They talk about their behaviors. And the therapist then tries to change them at that same level of consciousness. What we're saying is that if you change your level of consciousness, then what you create is totally different. So you don't have to fix it. The answer is you go back inside and quiet down and your level rises and then you see answers, you see opportunities, you see what to do in your life instead of what's wrong with your life. So the intellect is designed to solve and create problems. It's a very, very amazing ability that we have. We've just gotten overly fascinated with it because we haven't understood that there's an even deeper intelligence that we're connected to. And that deeper intelligence is within everybody. And most people, when you talk to them, they'll be able to tell you things like, I knew I shouldn't have said that. I knew I should have done this. You know, there's a kind of a knowing that comes with your wisdom. When you're in your head spinning, you can't get your feet down. You're just spinning, trying to find it, and, and there's no grounding there, right? If you ground yourself, you come back in the moment and you quiet your thoughts, what will happen is things will come to you about what you can do in your life that will make things better. So it's not saying, well, just don't think about your problem because, you know, like, you know, if I, I work with men that beat up their wives and um, I don't tell them, you know, like, just don't think about your wife anymore. Um, I have to help them to see that their experience is coming from their own thinking. So each one of us has to see that. We have to see that our responsibility comes when we see that it's all our thought. I mean, it's the good news and the bad news, right? Because the good news is, it's your thought, you're the thinker, you can do something about it. The bad news is, it's your thought, you're the thinker, you have to do something about it if you want it to change. It's just, it's so almost like hilarious how our attempts to solve certain problems, and it's, you're right, it's, it's so good that you highlighted that we're speaking about the level of our perception of problems. I mean, nobody's suggesting to ignore an external actual problem that is hurting, but it's, and on my own example, like what the three principles helped me realize is that all these things I had made up in my mind, I was keeping it active by trying to solve it at the same time, and I was using the same material to solve it. It's like trying to extinguish fire with fire. And I just couldn't see it because intellectually I would make up all these reasons. And in my mind, they seemed valid. Right. Right. And, you know, part of it is the nature of consciousness because consciousness takes whatever you think and makes it seem real. So the problem looks like it's really a problem. Right, like I'm not saying that there aren't things you need to change in your life or anybody needs to change in their life, but seeing it as a quote problem means there's something to be afraid of. You know, it's a like something could go wrong. It's that kind of insecurity that we get about that kind of thinking. 
right? And sometimes that's okay to even have that, like, whoa, something's wrong. I better take a look at that. But then you go back out of that thinking and you start listening and, and reflecting, and then you'll start to see what to do about it. it. Just makes you a lot smarter. And, you know, like the very first book that was ever written on this was called Sanity and Sanity and Common Sense. And really what we're talking about is using common sense in life. Hmm. Overthinking things is what makes things go haywire. Because we talk ourselves out of things. We talk ourselves into things. Mm. it's so interesting isn't it this power of thoughts i mean whenever we think a thought we immediately not only just feel it but also our minds seem to have this instant capacity to create a story around it so we're almost meant to be in that trap and but to me that actually points to our own power i mean we're so powerful that we forget that we have this power it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> really it truly it is it's a, it, it's really it's amazing that's why you know i've been teaching this now for 40 years and i'm still like learning heaps and gobs i see new, like every time that's what one of the reasons we do that podcast is because it's really a fascinating for us we learn things every week if we thought maybe we'd have 20 or 30 episodes and we're like over 100 now and we just keep coming up with new things like, oh, yeah, what about this? This is different, too. So it's a whole different way of looking at life. It's not, see, like when people kind of apply this to problem solving, they, they're, they're short-sighted a little bit because it's not, it's looking at the whole thing, like how does reality get created in each one of us? And the magic of that spiritual energy as it comes through us to make a mess or to make it beautiful and if you if if you have if you know how it works then you can make it beautiful you don't have to wait for somebody else to do it or for your life to change or for things to happen to you you can see like all i have to do to clean my life up is get rid of negativity all i need to do is let go of insecure thoughts and then you see things differently and suddenly you things change. Like well, there was a guy, one of, I don't know, I think he was in the Oakland project, the community project and that Roger did as well. Roger was the master of community projects. I gotta tell you, he was, a, I, I'm talking to Shane Kennedy to see if we can get one of him on tape somewhere because we were losing him. And he had such an incredible feeling, just incredible feeling. And he had so much faith in the health of people, that he just didn't think that anybody or any situation was unreachable. And so this guy was in one of his classes and he said that, he says, you know, every day I walked to the bus to go to work and I walked by an empty lot and the empty lot was full of syringes and bottles and trash. And he said, then one day I walked by and I saw a park. And now I'm working on transforming that. And he did, he transformed that, that vacant lot into a park and got you know, stuff for children to play with and, and totally transformed it. But that, had, that didn't come from him thinking. It came from him seeing something different because he was in a different feeling state in a different 
state of mind in a different level of consciousness. And that's how we have to change the world. I couldn't agree more because I actually worked with development aid. So we would, we did so many projects, but I would, especially after kind of getting a little bit of an insight about the three principles uh, like six, seven years ago, I could see how just dealing with problems after the fact and cleaning up the consequences is just a temporary thing to do. And, and I love what you just said about Roger, that he had faith in people's health, because when I started sharing this and had started having coaching sessions, I could see how when, when I would see the innate health in somebody else, and there was no question in my mind that they were okay, then it was, then, then I could kind of be of some meaningful presence for them. But when, when I would question and I would start to buy into the same limiting kind of beliefs that they, they were doing it, I, I was, I was of no real help. And it's just, it's so interesting. It's almost, it almost feels like counterintuitive because you were conditioned to think that, oh no, we're supposed to go and find all these wounds and do something to heal them because they're not going to heal themselves. But it's the exact opposite. Kind of makes sense why your podcast is called Psychology Has It Backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's why it is. And you know, the thing is, we're, we're all trained to, um, I mean, it's just the way, it's just the way that the intellect works. It's like the thinking that we do from the intellect is problem solving. That's what it's there for. So that we can, you know, figure out what to do in life so that we can, you know, um, re remember how to get home at the end of the day and, um, you know, create uh, housing that we can live in and all kinds of wonderful things that comes from the intellect. But the intellect is limited. To me, it's like Siri, you know, and Siri is only as good as the information that she has programmed into her. And so that's the limitation of the intellect is it can't go beyond that. But wisdom is the intelligence of the universe. And that's how new thought comes into the world. That's beautiful. It's, it kind of summarizes why I decided to name this podcast Brand New Thought because uh, yeah, everything, every solution has to come through new thought. It's, and, and it's, I think it's also important to appreciate that we can go to the old thought and kind of add a little bit of a flavor to that and feel like that's going to get us going. And we do that way too much. But as you said, we can kind of know how new that thought is by, by just following the feeling of it. The other thing is because we have evolved in a way where we've become dependent on figuring things out. That's why we do that. It's just like when you're using the intellect, you're always gonna be trying to figure out what's wrong so you can fix it. But if you see that you're already okay, there's nothing wrong, then you just go for that feeling. Hmm. So it's almost like transcending the need for the intellect to stay active all the time because you feel like your access to wisdom is actually literally going to make you smarter. That's right. That's right. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. I want us to speak a little bit about Sydney Banks. And my first question is, because we spoke about translation, do you think there is a part in Sydney Banks' legacy on the understanding that he shared that kind of got lost in translation or maybe there was a part that if he was alive 
today he would highlight that more than it is getting highlighted? Well, it depends on who you're talking to, because there are people that kind of go off in tangents. You know, there's, there's always some new group doing something. Um, and he would probably be rolling over in his grave about that. Um, you know, he would he would say, keep it simple. And you have to see that the, it, it's all about the feeling. It's not about intellect, the intellect, understanding it or figuring it out. And people love to think so. They make up this stuff about different things. You know, I mean, this has been the case. I mean, we did it too. You know, believe me, when he was alive, he'd be like, why you guys are destroying my work? I can't believe you're doing this, that you're thinking too much, blah, blah, blah. And we'd be like, oh my God, he's right. You know, and then we'd see it and we'd all change and go deeper, but he's not around to do that anymore. You know, which is, and, and we don't have the standing to do it because we're not enlightened, right? But um, we do the best we can to keep just getting people back to that feeling. And he would just say, you know, keep it simple. Go with what you know. Don't listen to somebody else. Find it in your, for yourself. Look for yourself. See for yourself is what he said, with a capital S and a capital E, E. So you're seeing it for yourself. And when you do that, it's yours. Would you say it's yours for life? It's yours for life until you start thinking the other stuff. You know, that's the deal. It's like, I've had, I've known people that have been, had great understanding. They go back to thinking again, but they, you know, it's like they get lost in their thought. It's easy to forget that you're thinking. It's yeah. easy. And, uh, you know, that's, one of the beautiful things is that we have Sidney Banks on tape and his writing. And if you, he would say, I mean, if you listen to his, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to any of the old tapes. I have, it's, it's so interesting, I love them. Yeah, well, he, um, if you notice the difference is that he's much simpler. And over time, he's, he talked more about the spiritual and less about thought. In the beginning, talked a lot about thought. And, and he talked about the spiritual then too, but you know, it, it's just like he's talking about it in a different way as he evolved. And we all evolve. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, the fact that he would, he would some of those early tapes were long, he talked forever, you know? And, and then he, as, as the years went by, he'd say, okay, that's enough, go on. Because he realized that he could go on and on, but people couldn't take it. It was too much mm. to take. And so he could feel that and he'd say, okay, that's it, go. And that's, you know, like one of the things we were planning the conference, the Three Principles UK conference that happens every year in June. And um, it's still been too busy, 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 busy. He'd go, he'd go kind of nuts about that. Like, you guys have to have time to get quiet and have people relax and take it easy and um, he would probably think we're all going too fast yeah mm, that's so interesting how how did it feel to be around him what did his physical presence do to you well it depends on if he was upset with me or not <laughs> either way it was very powerful he's a very powerful 
He was, when the first day I met him, I thought uh, when he came in that I'd know who he was because he'd be kind of levitating or, you know, he'd have like a, uh, something on his head and, you know, cause I'm American. And so it was like, you know, it'd be some kind of guru of some kind. And, and he walked in and he was the most ordinary person in the world, like super ordinary. He had his own little quirks, but when he spoke about the truth of life, you were transported into a different reality. And it felt like your brain got vacuumed out. And you couldn't remember what he said. You know, so that's kind of what he would say is you got to keep going deeper because that feeling when you talk from that depth of consciousness, you talk beyond the intellect. And, you know, he was, I remember the first time he asked me um, if he could help me. And uh, I said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm, I was happened to be in Florida when he was there and he said, I'm going to the swap meet. And the swap meet is kind of where people take their stuff and sell it to other people. And I was like 30 years old and single and swap meets just weren't my thing, right? That, that did not seem like a fun thing to do for me, but I just wanted to hang out with him. He, he wanted to mm. go there, it was fine with me. And I remember, I, I'll never forget that day because I was I remember walking down the, the roads and it was so peaceful and he wasn't he wasn't talking at all he was just looking at the stuff and he would find these treasures like underneath everything no one else would see it and his mind was so quiet that either you felt like you were like a monkey in your head you know like going so fast or if you were lucky, you'd quiet down with them and it would be a feeling that you just never felt before. Mm, that's he, he so was, beautiful. He was funny. He'd crack a joke. You know, he could tell when he, he, he'd take, he'd go really high and then we'd get insecure. We'd start thinking and he could feel that and then he'd come back down again, make a wow. joke. We'd all laugh. You know, and, and he was very patient with us. I tell you, he was very patient with us. Sometimes I think it was probably a little like hanging around with a group of schizophrenics for him trying to deal with us because of the difference between where he was and where we were. And we were all he had. <laughs> <laughs> well, would he, because you mentioned him getting upset. And I think it's, I think did he he didn't model kind of being high and in this thoughtless state all the time either right and i think that's important because people might confuse spiritual wisdom with kind of being in that state all the time but i think it's more about just embracing when you're not in that state or at least that's part of it so i'm really curious if you could tell how about his reactions or if he's ever talked about it would he get upset at all <laughs> He would definitely get upset. He would get, he'd go on a rant sometimes, you know, like, and then he did this, and then good for right? He he was just a regular guy. He's just a regular person. I mean, that's the thing about it. That's to me, that's the message he brings is that if that could happen to him, it could happen to anybody. 
because he wasn't searching, he wasn't looking, he wasn't, he was a welder. He's just wanted to have a better relationship with his wife. And that was it. You know, he, he was, um, um, he'd get frustrated with us sometimes because we'd get, uh, we'd go off thinking and we weren't listening. And, you know, and then the next minute it'd be over with. Hmm. We'd be still thinking about it, but be over with for him. He never, he never held on to it. That's just that, you know, it's like he's, he was just like us. Only he would just move into this deep state of consciousness. And then you realize that he saw something way deeper than what, what I saw anyway. Mm, back to that ordinariness that you kind of mentioned from the very first minute. Mm -hmm. See, I wanted to ask you about kind of the variables that perhaps might make it more likely for somebody to have an insight. And at the same time, we know that there is no such thing because even on the example of Sidney Banks, you mentioned he didn't necessarily have the intention for that. He hadn't, I don't know, been exploring kind of teachings like that. So I, I, I kind of do want to ask you, like, what are the variables to have an insight? And at the same time, I'm seeing that it's kind of a ridiculous question, but speak to that, please. Well, I could tell you the variables that'll keep you from giving, getting an insight. And one of that them works is too. Wanting an insight. <laughs> wanting an insight. Yeah, yeah. And, and wanting not to want an insight is a form of wanting too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you just have to see that the way you are right now is fine. And if there's more to come, it'll, it'll unfold for you. And, and that's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the deal with insight is that it frequently comes at times when it's least expected. Like I'll say oh, yeah. things to off the cuff and they get blasted by it. And, and other times I think I'm talking really high to somebody and, and they're going to get this and they hear nothing. Right. So it's, it's, it, it's a mystery. Sydney Banks would say it's a mystery who hears something and who doesn't. And I don't know the answer to that, but I know that it means there's no variables because like I, I was the last person in the world that Joe Bailey thought would hear something, I'll tell you. Joe Bailey was, was, had just learned about this just before I did, and we didn't even like each other. And he thought, oh God, you know, I can't believe she's here. And I, I was like the last person in the world he thought would hear something, and I was the only person that heard something. And so that's what? like, you never know. Mm. That's so interesting. Well, when did you kind of realize that, well, this is, this is real. This is not just some sort of a philosophy. It's a paradigm shift and you might want to share it. So when did that, or was it an immediate thing? Tell us a little bit how your understanding kind of unfolded and what was the evolution of that? Well, I was, I went to a, um, a psychology uh, uh, a, a weekend seminar that um, Joe Bailey did, uh, and he invited Roger Mills to come up to do this talk. 
And I went to it because I thought it would be a better way to meet men than going to bars because I kept finding alcoholics in bars. <laughs> and I was definitely looking for a husband so I could be happy. Mm. And I was extremely burned out and extremely stressed out. And I was very unhappy. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try this. So I, I went, but I was very argumentative in the morning. I was the person you hate to have in the audience because they're so argumentative. And, um, and then I discovered that Roger Mills was single. So I started thinking like, oh, maybe I could go to dinner. Maybe you need somebody to have dinner with tonight, you know? And so I was totally into conniving a date out of him. But it was a, it was a weird thing that happened because we were sitting at a table for lunch all of me, my, me and the women and the people that lived, worked in my clinic. And uh, we were kind of bad mouthing it saying, this isn't anything new. This is what we're doing. We're doing what we do is good too. And blah, blah, blah. And we got up from the table to leave. And I walked away from the table and I turned around and it was like, everybody was stopped in time. You know, when you watch a movie and everybody stops in time, but the main character, well, that happened and I thought weird and I turned around and I was walking out and Dr. Mills just happened to be walking out at the same time and he started talking to me he said I didn't answer your questions very well did I and I said no as a matter of fact you didn't but he started talking to me and he had the most beautiful feeling I remember it felt like he was stroking my soul with velvet and I um I thought, oh yeah, dinner, that'd be great. And I thought, hey, you better pay attention to what he's talking about. So if you go to dinner with him, you can have a conversation. So I often think that, that life knew what kind of bait I needed and uh, sent Roger up there as the, as the bait, right? And so I went in the, in the afternoon and I was listening. Now, back in 1980, when this was, being positive in therapy was considered bad therapy. And so he was talking about being positive. That was it. That's all I heard. And I thought, I could do positive. I could do positive. So then we had a, another break and there was a physician there. And I thought, well, because I thought, I don't know if this is weird or not. You know, it's, you know, maybe I should check this out. So I go to the doctor and I said, well, what do you think about this? And he said, well, I think it makes good common sense. I was like, well, if a doctor thinks it's okay, I better pay attention. So I went back in the afternoon. Now I'm listening, right? Now I got big ears. I'm listening. And Roger put up this diagram and my life changed. I just saw that I was seeing my thoughts in life and that I had been seeing my thoughts in life my whole life. And it was like my life flashed before my eyes and I could see the things I had misinterpreted. It's like, oh, whoops, that wasn't about me. Oh, whoops, that wasn't true. Oh, whoop. And I cracked up laughing. And I thought, oh my God, I've been analyzing my thinking for the last seven years and I made it up. Like I thought it was hilarious. And I just saw that what I was seeing in life was my thought. And I got into the most amazing feeling. Like I hadn't smiled for years really I was so serious and so you know uh intense and um 
all of a sudden I couldn't stop smiling. My cheeks hurt because my muscles had like up in my face for so long. And uh, so, I mean, that whole week, it's like every day something, it just started, kept unfolding, just kept unfolding. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't need to be in therapy. There's nothing wrong with me. And then I was like, oh my God, this is, this, anybody can change. I can work with anybody. Oh my God. Like all of these thoughts that I had that limited me from helping people got just, I could get them off my eyes. And then I, from that point, I went down to, and I did a three week um, training with the Advanced Human Studies Institute about a month and a half later. And I had started thinking again, and I got going fast. I was like insecure about going away for three weeks. And then I got there and it took me about two weeks of really pretty much doing nothing to slow down enough to realize how tired I was from going so fast for all my life. And then Sidney Banks came down for a uh, vacation. And so he talked to everybody and I got invited to go and he saw something in me and asked to meet me for lunch. And I had lunch with him and talked about nothing, we had grouper sandwiches and sat by on the, on the ocean in uh, Key Biscayne. And I remember being terrified because I thought, oh my God, I, I, I can't, I shouldn't say anything because I'll just put my foot in my mouth. And that was the beginning. From that point on, my life changed dramatically. And it keeps changing and I keep seeing it deeper. But it's the same thing that I keep seeing. I just keep seeing the same thing deeper. That's such a lovely story. Thank you for sharing that. I'm wondering if you're willing to do a, a, a small experiment with me. I also want to be mindful of your time. Um, but I just want to mention a few words that are kind of common in conversations about mental health or personal development. And I just want to hear your quick reaction to them, but feel free to speak about them uh, as, uh, for as long as you'd like to. It could be just a quick reaction of a few words. Could we do that? Yep. Okay, so let's start with letting go. Well, it just means you stop thinking about something. When people, when people say you got to let go of that, what people are doing is they're trying to manage something they have no control over by thinking about it. So they keep thinking about it over and over and over again. And their mind is on the thing that they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So it could be from the past, a trauma that happened. It could be uh, a, a, a man friend who's not acting the way they want them to, or it could be um, a mistake you make in business. But it's that you're thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And You've got to come back in the moment and, and stop thinking about it because that's not going to help you. There's no answers there. And people mm. get stuck in time when they do that. Vulnerability? Well, vulnerability is, to me anyway, it is when you're looking at life through the eyes of insecure thinking. And so it feels like the world can do something to you. And people make up all kinds of things about what's going to be trouble. Like sometimes people feel vulnerable to their own emotions. 
so that they're afraid of feeling sadness or they're afraid of feeling angry or they're afraid of feeling something. So they feel like those feelings make them vulnerable. But it's just being caught in the, the illusion that the outside world is making you feel hurt. Or the, the world is making you feel insecure. It's making you feel um, sad. Wow, that was profound. Wisdom? Well, wisdom is just the intelligence of the universe coming through you. It is the feeling. It is the source of life. It is all of those things. But as it comes through each one of us, it comes through for us. Like if I had wisdom about physics, I probably wouldn't do anything with it. You know, if it came through me, I'd go like, that's a weird thought. And I'd probably move on because it wouldn't be something that's in my life. So wisdom is personal and impersonal at the same time. So it's not about you as a person, but it, 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 wisdom comes through for you. So wisdom can access memory, but memory cannot access wisdom. So wisdom can always access memory and wisdom could help us re-experience things that we have experienced in the past if there's yes. need for that. Yes. Mm. Yes, in fact, that's exactly what happens when you're living in a better state of mind. You look back at your past and sometimes it seems like it's a movie you went to, especially if it was awful, you know? And sometimes you crack up laughing. Like I cracked up laughing and thought, you know, I had an idyllic childhood. I just didn't know it. I couldn't see it then because I wasn't living at a state of in a state of mind where I could see it. That's beautiful. Okay, number four is control. Well, control is again when you're caught in the illusion and the outside world looks like it's making you feel insecure. And so you're trying to change that so you feel secure. So control is overrated. Control is definitely overrated because the things mm -hmm. that we try to control are usually things we're insecure about. Mm -hmm. And being yep. in control yourself usually means you're really in your head thinking about whatever, every little thing you're doing. So you're feeling tense and tight and instead of really going with the flow of life and just seeing that you don't have to be in control of it. It's all taken care of. You just have to get out of the way. So we're the ones making up the need to be control and then using that same thing to steer it. Well, no, it, it well, I wouldn't say that we do it intentionally, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's when you, when you're looking at life and life looks like it is causing you distress, then whatever you think you need to do with life so that you don't feel distressed is what happens. So if I need to be in control of my business, you know, like I, I'm the director of my business. And so if I get insecure, then I want to know all the details of everything. And I want to, you know, be making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm trying to get everybody to act and do it in, in a certain way or do certain things so that I feel secure. But... Yeah. It seems like I'm doing it because I want the business to be successful. Thank you. 
Number five is awareness. Well, awareness is just another word for consciousness. And it's our ability to see a reality. So when we become aware of something, we're, we, we see it, right? And when we don't see it, we're not aware of it. So it's like the ability we have to see an external reality, to see each other on the screen right now, to see uh, the, the green grass outside my window. It's also the ability to see that we are spiritual beings, that we have wisdom within us, that we have that, that that's brought to us via consciousness. So when you're unconscious, when you're like having surgery or something and you're out, you don't have awareness of anything. When you come back online, it's like all of a sudden, like you have awareness, like, oh, that hurts, you know, like, oh, something happened to me. But you don't remember what happened when you weren't aware of it. Hmm. How about decision making? Well, decision making is, uh, again, it's choices we make as we go through life. Um, people have trouble with decision making because they overthink it. And they think of like, all the negatives and all the positives, and they try to figure out the future. And we don't know the future. And the more we accept that we don't know, and the more we accept that there's a whole lot of um, unknown in the world, that anything in the future is unknown to us. So us trying to figure it out in our head based on the past, because that's all that's in our head, is not really going to help us to make a decision. So like we make decisions in the moment, you know, and we make decisions based on, like I make decisions based on the feeling I have and the state of mind I'm in and whether it, I can see that that's exactly what I need to do. Hmm. Most of the time, sometimes I don't, and then I regret it and then I think, oh yeah, that wasn't a very good idea. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just decision-making is just like, um, like sometimes people just aren't aware again that they're the thinker hmm. and so when you're aware that you're the thinker then your decisions can come easier because you're not wedded to them to your thoughts you can do things differently yeah and, and in a quiet state decisions are almost like registering the obvious isn't it or even perhaps the obvious thing might be that there is no decision yet Hmm. Okay, number seven, productivity. Productivity is uh, getting things done, you know? And so if you, the problem with productivity is usually you think of more things to do than you can actually do. And so you end up feeling stressed in, in order to do those things that you thought of and made up about needing to do. And you judge whether you're productive or not by how many of those things you get done. So I don't really look at productivity comes naturally when I'm in a good state of mind. I see what I need to do. I take care of things and I don't have to feel under pressure to do that. Mm. I don't really think much about productivity, honestly. Beautiful. And the final one, listening. 
Listening is the most important thing you can learn to do because you have to listen without thinking. But listening for a feeling, listening to someone else while, without having the little interpreter uh, talking in your ear is the most beautiful thing that you can see to do in your life. Because when you're listening to life, when you're listening to your heart, when you're listening to the feeling, when you're listening to another human being, you're in a really beautiful feeling and you are able to feel more connected to the person you're talking to. You're connected with life. You're connected with the moment. You feel a connection like you're part of creation. When you're in your head and you think you're listening, you're listening to yourself think about whatever somebody else is saying, whatever's going on. So people frequently will say that, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening, but they're not like, you're really a good listener. You know, and that ability to kind of listen in the moment and listen for that feeling without caring about something actually is what gives you insights. Because as you listen, you're listening, you're listening, and all of a sudden, boing, the light bulb turns on. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Christine. It has been delightful to get to speak with you. And I just have two more final questions. Number one, if, is some, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what would be the best way to do that? Um, probably my email is christinejheath at gmail.com. And the last question, if you could share a message with the 30-year-old version of Christine, who is kind of trying to figure out, sorting it out, kind of overthinking, what, what would that message be? Oh, relax and enjoy your life. It's going to be a wild ride. It'll be great. Just relax and enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have found a resonance with this conversation, check out the coaching programs on brandnewthought.com. They include coaching sessions, learning materials, courses, and chat support. The types of pressing issues I work with include stress, decision-making, relationships, confidence, time management, self-esteem, communications, and resilience. If you're a coach, mentor, or therapist, then you can also check out a blog called What Research Reveals About Marketing Coaching Practices. I summarized my research about how to market transformational businesses persuasively and authentically. You can find it on brandnewthought.com forward slash blog. I love helping healers and coaches of all sorts, so if you are one, please reach out. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. It helps reach more people that may benefit from these conversations. This is Brand New Thought and I'm Razmik Sargassian, wishing you a beautiful day ahead. Goodbye.